Welcome to Something to Eat and Something to Read for 2024. This is a podcast for people who love cooking, eating, reading and thinking about all of the above. Co-hosted by me, Sophie Hansen. Hi, I'm a food writer living and working in Wiradjuri country and coming to you from our farm office on a stinking hot February day. And I'm Jermaine Lease, a psychotherapist and bibliotherapist living and working in Gadigal country. Also on a stinking, well, it's not stinking hot here. It's just very humid February day. <laughs> yeah, so today, speaking of being hot, we're talking about summer reading and whether it's <laughs> different to normal life reading. And we're each going to share a few books that we've loved over the past couple of months. And then, as usual, we're going to read out a listener letter and prescribe something to eat and something to read in response. A very quick thank you so much, as always, to our wonderful Substack subscribers whose support means we can keep recording this monthly podcast. And if you do listen and enjoy it, please consider leaving us a rating and even a review as it really does help new people find us. Okay, let's get stuck into it. Jermaine, would you like to start with your first summer reading recommendation or review? Well, yes, I think (laughs) also just this shape of summer reading is a really interesting idea. And So it's not just how summer reading can be different to our normal reading. I have noticed because my summer was spent traveling through um, the Northern Hemisphere, so winter, and the shape of my reading felt very, very different to my last summer when I was home Mm. um, having a break. And I guess it made me think that our summer's reading experiences will also be quite different on that more psychological level because we've not had the same kind of summer experience of summer in Australia and mm. small trips to the beach and that kind of thing, but very different. So mm. it'd be really interesting to see how we both have felt about our summer reading choices compared to our summer reading episode last year where we yeah. were both home. I think for me, summer reading mostly is just daytime reading, you know, the time to read mm. during the day. Like normal in my normal life, generally it's reading before bed when you're tired. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the holidays, it, whether it's just grabbing half an hour in a blanket in the garden after lunch or going at the beach, being at the beach or whatever, you actually, it's, it's an activity that you do in your day or for me at least. And that, I guess it's, yeah. obviously you have more time, so you read more, but what a luxury to just have all afternoon to read under a tree. <laughs> That's my, my idea. Yes. Yeah, so that becomes your main, your main focus. And I think for me, you know, this reading experience that I've had this summer was also actually very unplanned in that it wasn't until after I'd finished reading the books I read I realized how I had maybe subconsciously chosen them for a deepening of my mm. experience of um of travel and I suppose and where I'm up to in life right now and I think um you know travel to a different country and culture always sort of gives pause to notice the differences in lifestyles and mindsets doesn't it and that it just made me reflect more on my daily life back home and I guess books also explored similar questions with characters also in different places so so yeah so I guess that that really made me curious when I came home thinking about this episode and thinking about Mm. different kind of shapes of of reading so like you when I usually think of summer reading I think of daytime reading or where there's um sort of the only planned event might be that you're definitely going to be picking up your book during the day and I find that's also usually when I would crave the thrillers or the mystery fast-paced mm-hmm. 
um, novels and I and they don't kind of give me much space for reflection I suppose but they feel like a real treat and holiday escape mm-hmm. and oddly again unplanned that my two long-haul plane flights were bookended with psychological thrillers <laughs> <laughs> that I read um so on the way there I read I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've read that one. I've heard of it. I haven't read it yet and I can't wait to hear what you thought. Yeah, well, it's actually about a podcaster mm-hmm. and a true crime idea. She's in her 40s and she returns to her old boarding schools on the east coast of America and there's this unsolved murder from when she was at school and mm-hmm. uh, the book is sort of about her and the students uh, sort of working that out and then on my flight home I read The Night Visitor by Lucy Atkins uh, who I think is very popular in the UK as a thriller writer and yeah again very readable easy to get lost in when you're trying to forget the fact that you know you're on a plane for another 13 hours or something it was interesting that I thought that I ended up with both those books as opposed and no other thrillers during my trip the other the other three novels I'm going to talk about today um, really kind of created these further ex- sort of conversations with myself that those two plain books um, really didn't. They just they accompanied me and got me through the flight. Okay, okay. Oh, good. Well, my my first one that I read this summer was a heavy one and I think a lot of you guys listening might have already read it. It's Barbara King's Lover's Demon Copperhead. Have you read it, Jermaine? Yes. Yeah. yeah, very heavy. Yeah. Heavy, but my God, she can write, can't she? Like ugh, yeah. every page yeah. just carries you along. It's like a river. Um, and I didn't realise that she is from Appalachia. I think that's how you pronounce it, from mm. Virginia. So she had a really personal connection and motivation for telling the story and representing this part of America you know, and humanizing it, I guess, because mm. it is—it's a really mm. bleak look at you know structural poverty, opioid crisis in America, and and it was just so unbelievably sad and and seemingly hopeless. But then, you know, through the the narrator, like Demon's voice, which I just loved, I loved that character so much. There is mm. glimpses of redemption and hope just to keep you going. And I love how he says something in the book: a good story doesn't just copy life; it pushes back on it. He definitely does that. And, you know, from a food perspective, I, I'm always so interested when people are at a table in books or food comes up and, you know, it was just so scarce and, and bad and withheld, you know, for much yeah. of the book being a book about poverty. Yeah, I just I really loved it. I didn't find it, I mean, I found it easy to read in the sense that she's just such a good writer and you're in such good hands with her. But obviously, yeah. you know, the content, it makes you so angry. And I'd actually just finished watching dope sick which is a series that oh I, yeah i absolutely i found compelling but again makes you so angry about the whole opioid crisis so i really enjoyed it but it was um yeah it was heavy it was not you know light-hearted um <laughs> summer reading fiction but i love her writing so much it's- and i've just started her another book of hers which i found in our bookshelf called flight behavior which i'm also loving so i'm on a big cut barbara king's oh, okay. binge right now <laughs> you are and i think that's sort of her expertise in writing and her character development is what makes that book so heavy and sad isn't it because Mm -hmm. you really do feel like you're there with demon and it reminds me a bit of a little life actually 
um, mm, which I you still know, haven't <laughs> well, it's similar heaviness, perhaps not quite so real though. There's a fable kind of quality to it as well, maybe more redemption. But this, um, that you feel so strongly for those characters because the writing is just, it is like you're right there and obviously then it's going to hit much more deeply mm. because it just feels so real. Mm. Yeah. What is real. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, what's your next summer reading, Ricky? Okay, so oh, actually, can I just? I'm just curious mm. then about you picking up a book that's so heavy at this time of year that's quite light, or was it because you felt you had the space to kind of process it and take it in? Well, maybe that it was also a book club book in December, and I didn't uh-huh. actually finish it because just December was so busy, and so that I did have the space to really sink into it. That first week of January, I just all I wanted to do was read that book. But yeah, I probably it was a time thing because I think it's one of those books if you pick it up when you're tired and you hop into bed, it might take a bit longer to get through. <laughs> but I would recommend yeah. it to anyone. I thought it was just wonderful. Yeah. Mm. That's really important book to read too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, my first book uh, is Six Days in Rome by Francesca Giacco. It's actually her first novel, which amazed me because it just the characters felt so real and so well drawn uh but it's it's a novel about a woman in her 30s and she's recently ended a relationship after discovering her boyfriend was actually married and they were supposed to do this trip to Rome together so she decides to go on her own and she spends the week just wandering the streets of Rome and trying to make sense of of how she's ended up here and she goes back over her childhood her parents marriage and her relationship with her father, who is a very famous rock star, kind of well, folky kind of. I think he sort of. I think I read something that he's modelled off Leonard Cohen type of okay. persona. But the point being, he's like a. He's adored um, okay. back home, and so she, during this week, as she's wandering around and and thinking all these things, she meets an American man, and they also wander the streets together, have many meals together and talking to him kind of allows her to separate herself from her past even more. I think a big a part of loving, aside from the depth of the characters, another big part of loving this book was that it just coincidentally happened to be set. She was staying in Monty in the same neighbourhood that I was staying in. So oh, okay. it suddenly made that book come to life yeah. because the places she walked past or streets she named those sort of suddenly new and so I I think that made it more evocative for me and I think you would also love this book for the descriptions of the food uh that's another thing that it's it's a very it's a book that kind of delights the senses in terms of setting the scene as well as the food and the weather it's actually summer in Rome during this time which is different from my experience but um it it does a very good job of of setting the scene Oh, great. I'm definitely going to read that. Mm. I um, Anything set in Italy I'm interested in. My second one, for a bit of balance, I went from heavy to quite light, Dolly Alderton's latest uh, called Good Material. Any listeners of the podcast will know that I have recommended in the past and really loved her earlier book, Ghost, which is about a food writer living in London. I, I didn't love this one as much as Ghost, but I did enjoy it, especially on the back of Demon Copperhead. This was one of those, it was like a beach read, mm-hmm. and that's not to diminish it. It's really well written. It's a good book. It's 
I think mostly because the main character who's sort of also kind of the narrator through the book, most of the book, is a guy called Andy who just didn't resonate with me so much. I just didn't mm. feel a massive connection with him and he kind of frustrated me a bit. But it's a story of a sort of unexpected breakup or unexpected to Andy and the kind of madness that he or we feel when that happens, you know, when, when the rugs sort of pull out from underneath you and that you're trying to puzzle together why has this happened and what went wrong. And it is told mostly through Andy, who's a 35-year-old comic, through his character and his perspective and his sort of behaviour. I don't know, it just grated on me a bit maybe because I've known men like that in the past. I really liked the female character, Jen, and I enjoyed where she's narrating it the most. But look, as always with Dolly's writing, I'm a big, big fan of hers. It was pacey, it was funniest at times, and it was just a really good look into what it's like to be, you know, 35 and wondering where your life's going or what's it supposed to look like. And, you know, that unfairness that a 35-year-old woman has to be thinking about biology and parenthood and being serious and having a plan and men like Andy I'm generalising here, but talking about Andy, can just sort of keep couch surfing and doing bit jobs and figuring, you know, they've got heaps mm. of time. And then I also, without this being a spoiler, I do like how she, and she does this in, in Ghost as well, she sort of flips that narrative that the, the happy ending is like getting married and having kids. You know, it can be being mm. free and being on your own and, and having a job that you really love that gives you financial independence. And I like that she's she always flips that around a little bit and has a play with the kind of idea of a happy ending from different perspectives. Mm. So it was really good. I would really recommend it. It was just that Andy annoyed me at times. <laughs> but, yeah, if you like Dolly's writing, you will enjoy this book, I think. It's a great beach read. <laughs> That's funny. I'm just listening to that at the moment on Audible um, and I'm only – Oh, you listen to good material. I was in. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, What's it like? I think I downloaded it before going away thinking, oh, that might be good for the plane, but then mm. I got distracted with these thrillers. I'm, I'm pro- only a few hours in and I know what you mean about Andy being the kind of the messy 30-something who's still drinking too much and sleeping on his best friend's couch and that kind of thing. And, again, you wonder, is that just because we were at the wrong age to kind of really? Yes, probably enjoy that now um but yeah interesting to know that she flips that kind of happy ending narrative and makes me want to read on actually mm, you know and there's or, some or really beautiful insights actually throughout it I, I really like the way she thinks and writes so it's definitely good it's just I guess we've all known Andy's in our lives and he yeah anyway I would I really liked it and as a, it was a nice change of pace from um Demon Copperhead for sure Yes, I can see that genre shift uh, would have been quite therapeutic. (laughs) (laughs) What's your next one? My next one, I devoured this book. I absolutely loved it. It's called Wellness by Nathan Hill. I've heard of it. I've heard a bit about it. Yeah, no, I can't recommend it. And maybe it's a book that's good for people in their 40s and beyond. Oh, that's unfair to say. It's an amazing, it's just a book filled with wisdom. So it's all about this the imagined life and then coming to terms with yourself and your choices so it's about this couple Toby and Elizabeth and it starts just before they meet um, back in the 90s and they're in their early 20s and then it sort of goes into their meeting and falling in love and then it fast forwards to their middle age or to their 40s and where they're at now which is where the book and the book then goes back and forth over time to get that understanding of their middle, their, their marriage in the beginning. 
at the moment they're at this kind of this hinge point in their marriage and the book kind of illustrates that by it being a story about their building of their dream home and it kind of that sort of really becomes a metaphor for what's going on inside both of them and it's funny like the first half it's sort of almost satirical about middle a middle age middle class building your dream home all that kind of stuff and There's this quote, the basic philosophical divide between them, whether their new home should reflect their current reality or their future aspirations. Elizabeth was externalising all her irritations into the very architecture of their new home, baking her disapproval into the walls. So it's things like saying to Toby, you know, I want open shelving for the kitchen and he's thinking about how messy they are and their overstuffed cupboards and she's like, no, no, we should be the kind of people who have this open shelving and we should have an arts and crafts mm-hmm. nook even though their child hates arts and crafts and and I I want to have an open fireplace and we've never sat in front of a fire before but it's all this mm-hmm. if I put these things in place will I become this person I aspire to and and so it becomes so with those differences it becomes very clear that they're both sort of on different pages or, or quite unhappy and and then it sort of becomes a journey for both of them trying to They've both had difficult part, like everyone, there's been difficulties in their past that they need to kind of really confront and overcome before they can move forward. And so she really realises that she's lived this life and I think it's so common. I've heard this so often and I can see it as well. Like the trick she knew was being able to live more fully in your imagination to reduce the mental gap between you and the person you would soon become, to tell a story that was more compelling than the present That was basically where Elizabeth had lived all her life, in her imagination, in her head. It was her only permanent address. Mm. So it's sort of a fantasy life of, oh, one day I will be this kind of person who does this kind of thing and and how that one day doesn't ever really come. And I I guess it, it resonated a lot because it made me think a lot about, you know, when you're staying in Airbnbs, it's the perfect time to play in your imagination and put on the, oh, if I was living in this apartment in Florence, my daily life would look like this. And, mm. and you know, it's really fun when you're on holiday because that's this, it's a – I love that line from the movie um, The Holiday where they, where Kate Winslet, I think, talks about a vacation being when you vacate your life. And I guess um, it is yeah. that kind of fantasy time where you can go, imagine if that's, if that's what my life was. This book is um, more about her doing that in her daily normal life and then both of them having to kind of come to terms with how that's how they can kind of create a new future together or apart, I'm not going to say. Is social media in the story at all? Because I feel like it, that doesn't happen just when you're travelling. Sometimes it's when you're travelling around Instagram and you're looking at these people oh, with true, art, yeah. art nooks and amazing open plan kitchens and <laughs> creating things in your head because you think it's a certain way to be because you've seen it in some amazing person's feed. I wonder, does that is that part of the story at all, how social media affects Elizabeth or not so much? Not so much, but she's like a, um, her job is all about, she works for like the Wellness Institute where trying to work out the psychological, like so she's all very across all the theory, like, you know, you're meant to have a, this U dip in middle age where you're the un, most unhappy and then, the older you get, the happier you get. You know, if you've read all those kind of psychological no, studies. But is that, that true? Talk about. Oh, when are we coming up to the happy no, bit? Well, oh, I'm, I'm happy now. I'm joking. 
like I'm very much in middle age though. <laughs> I don't know how I think well, we're all so unique, aren't we? Yeah. I would say more every life transitional time has its unhappiness and happiness sure. attached to it. It's all everything, isn't it? Yeah. You have to grieve what's been and and look at how you create something new or different. I guess there's also the danger of allowing yourself, I mean, you know, midlife crisis, it's it's a mm. stereotypical time of sure. midlife crisis. And I was, actually, with my next book, I was going to talk more about this idea of actually not being a crisis, but like this whole new beginning, this whole idea of a second adulthood time. Mm. But I guess the danger is if you too literally say, oh, well, I'm at this stage of life, which means I'm going to, this is just going to be, I'm going to be unsatisfied. And I'll just live un, in an unsatisfactory way. Mm. There's something quite passive about that, isn't there? It's mm-hmm. a self self defeating, and it kind of creates, I guess, kind of then writing your own fate in a way. And it's a it's a much more complex story than just oh, middle age means sadness or unhappiness. And mm. yeah, it's also individual. For sure, I think I think sadness comes about at any stage of life if you don't look within yourself mm-hmm. and try and work out your own story about your life. Okay. Well, I can't be too yeah, worried. <laughs> that brings me nicely into my next book, which is uh, The Yellow Kitchen by Margot Villeron, which talks a lot about a, a, another stage of life, being in your late 20s and the kind of sadness that can come, I guess, sometimes when you're feeling like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing or you're not sure what you want to do at all or you're out of uni and you're feeling a little bit lonely in an, in a new city. I might be biased here because I have a yellow kitchen here at the farm, which mm-hmm. I love, and this is called the Yellow Kitchen and it's it's centred around this space in one of the characters' flats where the three women who the book is about come together and cook together and be together. And I love that mm. the yellow kitchen is the anchor to the story because I think kitchens are quite intimate places. You know, if I bring someone into my kitchen mm. and they're sitting at the bench while I'm cooking and preparing, it, it's it's another level of closeness, I think, rather than just sitting in a cafe or even, you know, at the table. It's it's we're doing something together. You're in my cooking space. So I really like that. And, and throughout the book, the scenes that take place in the kitchen are where the relationships are tested or resolved or big things kind of are discussed. So it's it's just a really lovely book. I loved the writing and I found it really charming uh, how obvious it was at certain times that Margot's um, English is a second language to Margot and, and it's really sweet sometimes. So, for example, she talks about, one of the characters talks about laughing as a child and her mother's there and she, she says that she contaminated her mother who began laughing as well. And, you know, that's a turn of phrase that I would never use, mm-hmm. contaminated someone with laughter, but yeah, it's just it's really charming. And, yeah, the characters are all dealing with some big things in their life, but they all prioritise pleasure, which I also quite liked. And Margot calls, <laughs> um, Margot calls the, a symphony of small leisures, which I really liked, like that idea. And, you know, I'm always talking about small pleasures in, in the day, which kind of add up to... A good day. Yeah. So I, I loved it. And also I came across it because Margot Villaron has a podcast. She's a co-host of a podcast called The Salmon Pink Kitchen, which I don't think is oh. happening anymore. But all the old episodes, not even that old, like a year or so, you can find them wherever you find your podcasts. And it's really lovely. They're both French. I think they're both French. 
One might be French, one might be Italian, actually. Sorry. It's been a while since I listened to it. It's really lovely. And there's an episode I'll pop in the show notes where Margot actually reads out lots of chapters from the book in her beautiful accent and they talk about it and it's lovely. So it's just a really nice book. You, you'll have to order it. I think it's, I ordered it from my bookshop. It's probably not going to be on every shelf because it's a couple of years old and I'm not sure if it had a huge run, but seek it out. Right. It's a really sweet book. And it's a novel? It's a novel, yeah. It's a novel? It's a novel about three friends right before lockdown starts. And funnily enough, good material ends like a week before lockdown starts as well. So it's interesting how these books are coming out now where that period, we've got a bit of space, I guess, between it and and we're sort of um, thinking about what that period means and and what it's going to mean for the characters who have no idea what's going to happen and it's kind of ominous because we know what's about to happen to their lives yeah. but they have no idea so another layer of oh it sounds great yeah I really and liked I think, it you know the kitchen the kitchen is like known as the heart of the home mm. as well isn't it there is mm. something quite symbolic about letting people into your kitchen and a friendship kitchen. It's not a family space. It's mm. they're not cooking for children. It's mm. them cooking for themselves and their friends, um, which I really liked as well. So yeah, definitely seek it out. It's a really good book. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to. <laughs> um, so my last book is called The In Between by Christos Cholkas. Oh, you know, he wrote the Slap. Australian Greek Australian. Yes, yes, the writer of the Slap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. A, Greek Australian living in Melbourne and this book the main character happens to be Greek Australian returning to Melbourne again I read this novel towards the end of my trip so it was actually really nice to read about returning to Australia the Australian lifestyle in comparison to the European lifestyle the main character Perry has spent years living in France Uh, he's also traveled extensively because of his family coming from Greece Um, He's in his 50s and he's been devastated by the end of a long-term relationship um, with a married man in France, which is why he's come home. And it starts with him meeting Ivan, who's also in his 50s, a Serbian-Australian, and they fall in love. And Ivan's also been very scarred from a, a difficult relationship that ended with a lot of his partner's Um, was very unfaithful so they're both really cautious about embarking on a new relationship there's so many echoes in here too of what it was like to grow up gay in the 80s in Australia with AIDS looming and and the reactions of family and friends at that time and they had very different lifestyles Ivan left school earlier as tradesman a gardener a landscaper and whereas Perry's a translator and a classicist and university educated so very different experiences of being Mm. gay in the 1980s as well given where they spend their time Christos he writes so evocatively about shame and stigma and and pain there's such a depth and pain in both these men yet there's some beauty in how they're prepared to change their usual old responses and and really give this a go you know there's this line Perry says to himself you'll not live your life anymore in silences and evasions you must never do that to yourself again the other thing I really loved about it was 
he writes about the, the lessons learned about yourself from the wounds in earlier life. And this is what I was going to say about Jung's idea of a second adulthood that always happens in middle age. And if it's not confronted, the idea psychologically, if you don't confront your wounds from your past, you end up in some kind of crisis trying to chase some change or rate of change the past or or think that it's all this external problem and if I blow my life up then everything will be great but with no kind of looking within you just are setting yourself up to repeat the same patterns whereas this Jung's idea of the second adulthood sort of opens up the possibility for this whole new growth and 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 liberation if you have gone deeply within yourself and tried to learn more about yourself and middle age can be seen as this time for huge second chances and I think that's what I loved most about this story Mm. also having to say if you've read the slap you'll be aware that um, Christos Chalkas also writes very raw sex scenes Mm -hmm. and very graphic and there's that kind of side of his writing that is also true in this in this in this book I think they're kind of important, actually, because he kind of also doesn't shy away from the animal instincts, you know, in all of us. Mm. And he sort of shows this whole person, the parts of people that they don't ever kind of want anyone else, even their lovers, to see. So there's that really powerful reading of the parts people try and conceal about themselves and yet, you know, aren't kind of concealed here. And, yeah, if you're able to, to read some of those very raw graphic scenes then I think there's so much to be gained from reading about this love story that happens mm. in middle age oh wow okay yeah I've um I've seen it around I haven't picked it up yet but I I'm, I will now mm. um add it to my list of things to read <laughs> that sounds really interesting <laughs> yes. I, I really did um I found the slap really compelling and I think he's an incredible writer so I'll definitely look that one in my last one is uh, a book that I think you mentioned as a recommendation a few episodes ago, Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers. Mm. Um, mm. And I listened to this book. Actually, I've got about an hour of it to go. And, and as always happens when I've listened to a book I really enjoy, I now want to go and read it because whenever I'm listening, I'm doing something else, I'm driving or I'm cooking or mm-hmm. and I'm not 100% focused. And I really love, I'm loving it. And I feel like I want to go back and read it to give it like my full attention I found it really compelling and sweet and sad and bits of humor throughout it and I loved I thought it was just such a fascinating such a clever premise from the author which is a middle-aged single journalist called Jean stumbles across the story of her career uh, a woman Clay, it was set in the 50s in the UK claiming to have conceived a child through parthenogenesis i.e virgin birth and then Jean investigates this and gets kind of embroiled in Gertrude's family and her life changes as a result of that process. And I won't give too much away and I still actually would love to discuss this whole book in a full episode. And, again, this idea of small pleasures, which I think are what, mm. you know, they're so important. And I'm quoting from the book here, Jean's talking about her small pleasures because she has quite an eventful life at the beginning living with her reclusive mother not much money in and out of her job that's basically her whole life but she talks about these pleasures as the first cigarette of the day a glass of sherry before Sunday lunch a bar of chocolate parceled out to last a week a newly published library book still pristine and untouched by other hands anyway I really enjoyed it and um, I'm going to go and read it now because when I listen to books it's just a different kind of 
enjoyment, isn't it? But sometimes you want to sit down. With it, it is. You don't get to savour the words, do you, in no. the same way? Yeah, and I might step out to do something. I've stepped back and I've missed a bit and I think, oh, well, you know, i just catch up and figure it out. But I think certain books I wanted to actually, yeah. Have you? Yeah. You've read it, haven't you? It's funny. I have, yeah. Did you I, like I, it? I can't remember if it was a book. Well, maybe I'm I did, making that up. I did really like it. And I, yeah, I'm not sure I did it as a description, but I did really enjoy it as a, um, it is a lovely read about, and it's, again, very evocative about England in the, um 1950s isn't it yes I mean even just a small pleasures thing being a cigarette you know mm-hmm. you say, I know yeah, yeah and a glass of sherry before lunch yes and the food is very that time you know like ox hearts and livers yeah. and I mean obviously there's there's a level of restriction in terms of financial but there's a scene where she has goes out for lunch with a gentleman and they eat in an Italian restaurant I don't know if you remember it and she tries sardines and she can't believe that they're just grilled with a squeeze of lemon on the plate and she's surprised that just that is sufficient she doesn't need you know stodge with it or whatever and this idea of that Italian meal makes her think maybe her life could be different and have new experiences in it and um anyway it's just a really it was it's a great book I really enjoyed it highly recommend (laughs) yeah a transforming meal very true well especially you know 1950s England I, there wouldn't have been a lot of, mm. you know, uh, other flavours around and so to go and sit, you know, in a restaurant and have mm. food like that for someone like Jean would have been a huge moment, I think, for her without saying, I'm not trying to patronise her because she even says it. She's Every meal is the same and it's just her and her mum on a tight, very tight budget working with what they have. Certainly not a lot of kind of super flavours happening. <laughs> No, and I guess would a rationing still have been happening then? Like it's set in the 50s, isn't it? So it's not that long after the war. I don't think so. Okay. But there's, I think, a a mental rationing on behalf of her mum and a suspicion of anything new, you know, anything foreign to her mother is German, which to her is a bad thing because Mm. the war is still so fresh in her mind. But mm, mm. It, it's a beautiful book and I love the cover art. I think I said the other day in my newsletter or something, I really want a print of it on the wall. I just, it's a beautiful Oh, it's beautiful, book, isn't it? it? Mm. <laughs> All those tangerines and, and there's a whole story behind that as well. So mm. anyway, yes, read it. If, you, if, you, if that sounds interesting to you, I'd pick it up because I don't think you'd be disappointed. And she writes beautifully, Claire Chambers. She does, yeah. So you've had a very eclectic summer. I have. In terms of your reading choices. Yes. I've actually got my mojo back. I read quite a lot this summer. That was a lot for me, four books in a month. I'm trying to keep it going now with my new Barbara King's Lover, uh, which I'm really enjoying. Another kind of Mm. book set in rural America, which, yeah, I will report back on. But, you know, it's easy in holidays to find the time, isn't it? Especially we had a holiday at home mostly. I did have the time. But um, it's making that effort to keep it going through the year when, life gets busy again to make time for reading because I find it incredibly rewarding (laughs) when I do and my writing gets better all the rest of it but life sort of sweeps you up doesn't it it's easy to watch a show rather than pick up your book but got to work on that (laughs) true yeah now we're having a bit of a change of pace here because we're coming to our letter which is quite a heavy one but it's as you said in your email to me when you sent it to me it's really important and beautiful so Let's read it and then we're going to recommend something to eat and something to read. Okay, I'll read the letter and, Jermaine, you can come back with your prescription. 
Hi, Jermaine and Sophie. This is a heavy one, and while I know it might not be the most uplifting start to the year, it is how I'm starting mine, and I would appreciate some advice for some books to keep me company and a meal to keep us all nourished. My sister has been battling melanoma for four and a half years, and on Boxing Day, we entered the final stretch. While she has been unwell for a long time, and we all knew the prognosis of her disease, having her oncologist tell me that she is dying was still a huge blow. Long-term diseases are a funny beast. You think they give you time to prepare, but when the end comes, it still seems like a rush, and those words are a gut punch. She is only in her late 40s, so the extra layer of worrying for her future of her kids is at the back of my mind every waking moment as well. I am a huge, lifelong reader and have often used books to work my way through major milestones in my life, not in a self-help book kind of way, more of a learning from others to gain experience and empathy. I'm not sure this is a situation when I can handle that path at the moment. I'm not ready for reading about the grief of others to normalise my own just yet. My reading feels quite broken at the moment. I'm picking up many books but often find a roadblock I can't get past. I'm spending long hours in the hospital while she dozes on and off. So I am looking for a comfort read or few to get me through the weeks to come. Something that is engaging but doesn't need me to focus too much as hospitals are never the quietest of locations. A book that feels like a warm hug, a true comfort read. While tales of found family, travel, fantasy, escapism, even cosy crime appeal, however family tension and any romance where the man comes to save the day are certainly not what I'm wanting. Loss is not a red flag but I would prefer it isn't the focus. A touch of hope would be appreciated Favourite authors include Sarah Winman, Gabrielle Zevin and Maeve Binchy. have attached my Goodreads link below so you can read my red books. Now for the recipe. None of us are surprisingly hungry. We are eating for energy and sustenance, but we are usually a very food-focused family. For all of us, the best part of the holidays are being in the kitchen together. Food is our love language. So I would love something tasty, nourishing and preferably batchable that we could make and then eat over consecutive days. Thank you so much for taking the time to read this. I adore the podcast and re-listening to episodes on the drives back and forth between our hometowns has been a huge source of comfort. I'm grateful for the discussions you have. You're getting me through some dark days. Warm regards. Oh, what an incredible letter and how beautifully written. Yes, very, very moving and, and uplifting to know that our conversations can kind of create mm. some sense of light in in a lot of darkness oh, um and when I received this letter I was still away and I I felt I couldn't wait to um give her a book recommendation knowing it would be weeks before we would be doing this episode and doing one so just a full disclosure I've given her a recommendation already which I'll I'll talk about and I've got another oh, good, one I'm glad. now too I'm glad. I suggested Mary Oliver, you know, the mm. famous poet, who wrote a book of essays called Upstream. They're very short and they're very, you know, beautifully written, as you'd expect, given she's a poet. They're all kind of about nature and the healing power of nature and grounding yourself in nature. And I thought that could be quite calming and something that would be easy to pick up and put down, as she says, while she's having to be in the hospital which is so not part of the natural world, is it? All mm-hmm. the noises of a hospital and the the coldness of it. And I wondered if being reading about being in nature by a flowing stream or being in the middle of a forest somewhere might be quite a calming 
and gentle place to remove herself to. So, so yes, so I suggested that a few weeks ago. And today I'm thinking more about a lovely book called The Hen Who Dreamed She Could Fly, which is a Korean book, a South Korean book by Sun Mi Hwang. And it's more like a fable because it's all about this hen named Sprout and she's kept in a barn to produce eggs that are going to be taken to market and she dreams of a life outside where she'd be free and she'd be able to hatch an egg of her own. But she's quite an old hen, I have to say, as well. So it's sort of against the odds, like what she dreams and wants in life is not going to be able to happen. But by kind of rethinking about what her dream actually represents, she's sort of able to change her destiny. And there's something so beautiful about this book because through the eyes of this hen, you sort of start exploring your own, you know, philosophical perspectives on freedom, individuality and the meaning of life. You know, the letter writer mentioned wanting a book that would feel like a warm hug and I don't know if it's because it's a book where the characters, the main character is a, a hen, but there's something very, well, I find reading that book, that's a book I have prescribed many times for many different reasons, but generally for people at a, feeling very stuck at a crossroads but not able to make a decision or feeling that the decision they want to make is sort of the impossible one. And I, I think there's something very calming about reading this book that's sort of almost like a childlike quality to it, but to be reading at a time when life feels like it's in crisis or it almost feels pointless, it upends all that you kind of trusted in the world when tragedies like this happen I think this book will also kind of show how adaptable we can be when life puts us in these situations that leave us of grief-stricken and powerless it gives some kind of power back in a way well I hope that's what it will do for our letter writer oh I love the sound of that book yeah I'm going to grab that one as well thank you and the Mary Beard (laughs) the Mary Beard collection that sounds Oh, Amazing. Oliver, Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver, sorry. Um, I actually did go and have a look. Food writer. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I had a look at um, our letter writer's Goodreads list and I, you you are our woman. We I have so many books yes. on your list. I was like, I loved that one, I loved that one. So thank you for sharing that. It made me think I need to start one of those lists because it's quite a fun thing to be able to look back on what you've read. And anyway, I, I adored your list and your ideal, your writers that you love. Are, similarly, I love all of those people. And Maeve Binchy, I think, would be ideal. I would also, oh, God, what's her name? That beautiful Irish writer. She wrote Watermelon, Rachel again. Oh, Marion King. Oh, yeah, can't forget. Marion, like that would be a big juicy one of hers would be another one potentially to, to read yeah. through. Okay, so for the food, I, I totally understand that that hunger is probably not, you know, not, not sort of looking for super kind of crazy flavours and, and anything too time-consuming. So I'm actually going to recommend a soup, <laughs> two things. First is soup because I think, especially this one, it's a really gently spiced tomato soup with chickpeas and it came to me via a friend, Paulette, thank you. It's actually in my new book and it's really lovely. It's delicious and because of the chickpeas and it's got this lovely crunch you put on the top, it's actually quite hearty and it's filling and I do think there is nothing more nourishing 
and satisfying comforting than a bowl of soup with a pile of hot buttered toast. And you could take that with you in a thermos mm-hmm. to the hospital and just sort of pour it and sort of sip on it as needed, have batches of it. It's it's a really easy, it's also super easy to make. You can just use passata, like buy a really good passata from the shop and and spice that up. But the it's it's warming, it's nourishing. And I know it's hot and it's summery, but it's it's tomatoes and we're in mid-tomato season. So you could use fresh tomatoes as well. And I just think it's a real, I think making a big batch of this would, would be a really nice thing to do for yourself. And also it's going to give you a few good meals. And the second thing is, it's also from my new book, and this is not an advert, it's just all the recipes are so in my head. It's a honey seed slice, which comes from another friend, my friend Cookie. And it's a really easy recipe. It's just a heap of seeds and nuts and good things and like dried fruit that you mix together with honey and tahini, press down and put in the oven for a little bit. And it becomes this fabulous sort of muesli bar, but that doesn't have any oats in it, actually. You could put oats in. And I feel like a big container of this, it lasts in the fridge for weeks or on the bench for a couple of weeks, would be a great thing to take with you. I often have some in the fridge and if I'm really hungry, just grab a bar. It's kind of, it can be breakfast. It can be a snack. My kids really like it. And it's a really good, it's a very handy thing to have on hand because they're yummy. feels like a bit of a treat. There's a little bit of chocolate in there. It's just really nourishing and it, it fills a gap, a hunger gap when you might just need to grab something and go. So to our letter writer, we're sending you a lot of love and we hope that those um, those things to read and things to cook are helpful. And, yeah, get back to us and let us know if we've missed the mark and we can come back to you with other things or if, if I have. If you want lasagnas or other things, I can definitely send you lots of ideas. But, yeah, we're sending you lots of love because you guys mm. are going through it. Yeah, that, that brings us to, I think, the end of this summer reading episode. I've loved seeing yeah. you again, Jermaine. One, we're, we're, we're hatching plans for an in-person podcast recording I hope in the next few months. Well, more on that soon. But yeah, we, we're, we're going to send through our next books shortly. We're going to have a bit of discussion after this, aren't we? <laughs> we are. Yes. Yeah, no, I can't wait getting back into it. It feels like, um, yeah, it's exciting times ahead for our little podcast. Yes, definitely, definitely. So thank you to Christy Reading, our amazing producer who stitches us together and deletes the ums and the ahs a bit, of which there are many. I'm a bit out of practice. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we sign off? Yes. Well, and thank you to Single Vineyard Sellers for um, supplying our letter writers with a case of Highgate wine of their choice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so please keep sending us your letters if you'd like some wine along with something to read and something to eat. Yay. And I'm going to throw in a shameless plug at the end here. If anyone is interested in my new book, What Can I Bring? comes out on the 27th of February. If you're interested, you can go and ask your local bookseller if they'll order it in or hopefully they'll have it and I hope you enjoy it. It's kind of exciting and nerve-wracking to have it almost in the world. And it's so soon, isn't it? It's such a great idea though, this what to bring for as a plate for an event. I'm I like hope so. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, look, I'm really excited about it. But it's funny, it's one of those things when it's it's a project that you've had on your own for such a long time, you know, because I shoot, I style, I write it. So it's mm-hmm. been in my world for two years and now it's out there and other people are reading it and having thoughts and it's just a funny, it's a funny experience of letting go <laughs> and keeping my fingers well, crossed. Well, it's no longer yours, is it? It's, mm. um, it's, as I said, every book leaves a different shape on us and, and you can't, 
you know, you've got the shape of how you wrote it and what it means to you and it's going to have different shapes for different Definitely. people. Definitely. So, yeah, anyway, I hope you guys enjoy it if you decide to pick it up. And, Jermaine, thank you for doing this with me. It's been so good to catch up again after a bit of a break. And we'll be back in a month with a new episode. Lovely to see you too and lovely to be back in people's ears. So, yeah, we'll see. Thank well, you. Well, we won't see. We'll hear you. You'll hear from us in another month's time. Oh, oh, and one last thing. Please keep sending us your letters in because we really appreciate you mm. taking the time to write to us and um, and thinking about what to suggest in return. So especially this this episode's letter, that was um, I don't think it would have been easy to write, so we really, really appreciate you putting it down and sending it to yeah. us. And we hope we've helped, yeah. Mm, definitely. All right. We'll see you. We'll, we'll, we'll speak to you guys soon and have a good month. Thanks, Jermaine. See you later.